Welcome to the CityGate Church podcast. Today's message was recorded at our live Sunday services, and we hope that it encourages you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We are in a series that Pastor Julian has titled, God Said It, I Believe It, That Settles It. And today we are gonna settle some things according to the Word of God, amen? If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Romans chapter four. Um, If you don't, don't worry, it's gonna come up on the screens as well, but bringing your Bible to church is always a good thing to do. And I'm gonna read just three, maybe four verses from Romans. It is a little bit wordy. It's a little bit heavy, but we're gonna unpick it and we're gonna see just how incredible this is. So Romans chapter four, verses one to three, it says, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Verse five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Like I say, I appreciate that's a little heavy. It's a little wordy, it's a little technical, but this verse is saying that if if Abraham could have been justified, and justified means to bring in line with, if Abraham could have been brought in line with God by his works, he would have been able to boast about something. And the next verse says, but not, but not before God. So we know straight away that there won't be anybody boasting in heaven that they got there based on what they did, that they got there themselves. There is nothing, nothing that you can do that's gonna impress God enough that you'll get a hall pass to heaven. Nothing you can do. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The world, they don't know this, they don't understand this. If they did, they would accept Jesus in a second. But they have no comprehension of this. If we were to go out onto the street today and ask people, what do you need to do to get to heaven? Please, I'd love some interaction from you. Shout out, what do you reckon people would say if we were to go and ask them, what do you have to do to get to heaven? Be really good? good. Yeah, be more good than bad? Or perhaps even go so far as say, have more good in your account than you have bad in your account. Would that be a fair thing that people think? I know that many of us have thought these things. Well, <laughs> today in my preach, I have some good news and I have some bad news. I think it's only fair to start with the bad news. Um, God's standards are different from our standards. I think that's a fair statement, right? God's standards, that's what makes him God. His standards are different. God's standard is not that you need to have more good in your account than bad. God's standard is perfection. Absolute perfection. God's standard is actually so high that even 24 karat gold isn't good enough for God. And we can ask the experts here, ladies, is there... Is there a standard of gold higher than 24 carats? No, you seem woefully uninformed on this. 
Have your husbands been saying, yeah, 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 it's 48 carat, love, it's 48 carat. <laughs> there is no standard. In fact, if you were to look at a bullion bar of gold that's 24 carat, on it, it will say 999. And the reason for that is because it is 99.9% pure. It is the pinnacle of human achievement of purity in gold. But there's 0.1% that's impure. 0.1. And you can't, you can't eradicate that 0.1%. It's actually not possible for humans to get rid of that 0.1%. So even 24 karat gold isn't good enough for God because God's standard is perfection. The other message title that I was going to use for this is, so how on earth do I get to heaven? And I'm going to ask this question a number of times in this message. And like I said, I have good news and I have bad news. And we're starting with the bad news. Question number one, and please feel free to raise your hands. I would love some interaction. How many of you here or who here has broken every single law our government has ever written? That's a good start. That's a good start. That's really encouraging. But it is all downhill from here. I am sorry to say it's all downhill from here. And I'm going to labour this point. I'm going to labour this point because actually we do tend to bake this into our thinking. So I'm going to really, really emphasise this. We have a fantastic judicial system in our country better than most, and we are incredibly fortunate to have it. And a basic tenet of our judicial system is that, can anyone tell me, you are innocent until proven guilty. Okay, you were more informed on that than you were on gold. That's a good thing. That's okay. That's okay. So we are innocent until proven guilty. So what does this mean? It means when you are hauled into court, you are innocent. When you are sat in the witness box, you are innocent. When you are cross-examined, when the prosecution give their evidence, the entire trial, you are innocent. Unless there is incontrovertible proof beyond the shadow of a doubt, or until the jury give their verdict and the gavel comes down, you are innocent. And this is a fantastic system to have in our world. However, it's not biblical. And yet, so often, despite being unscriptural, we build this into our thinking and our theology and our doctrine. Another challenge with our judicial system when compared with the Bible is that we have varying degrees of right and wrong. I think we've all seen these shows, haven't we, where the guy is caught dead to rights. They've got him. And yet he brings out a bit of an ace or a bit of a trump card and he makes a plea bargain and they give him a lighter sentence because they bargain over their wrong and their right. And that makes for really exciting TV and that's wonderful, but it's not in the Bible. It's not scriptural. Our God is a righteous judge. Don't worry, there is good news coming. I have to focus on this point first. God's standard is perfection. And in a moment, I'm going to read a verse that really actually shows just about this. But question number two that I want to ask, all of you passed the first test, which was none of you have broken all the laws. Again, like, I mean, we're, we're live streaming, so keep it low and I'll see. <laughs> who here 
Who here has committed one teeny weeny mistake or crime or broken a law? Well, that's a nice big hand at the back. Okay, fine. The rest of you are liars. So I've got you on that one. I want to read a verse and it's okay. It's okay. We're all in church. That's why we're in church. That's why we're in church. I want to read from the NIV. I really like this translation of James chapter 2, verse 10. It's going to come up. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So I'm sorry to say that because of your answer or lack of ability to answer question number two, you're actually guilty of question number one. All of you. Gotcha. In God's eyes, it's the same. I promise you this message is going to get better. I promise you, but not yet. My question is, how is this fair? How is this fair? Because I read that and there's a part of me on the inside that goes, oh, that's unfair or that's harsh or how on earth do I get to heaven? But more important than this question of fairness, which I will answer, by the way, I'm going to answer this question of fairness because it is important. But more important than this question is how on earth do we get to heaven if we've been guilty of breaking every single law? Let's go back to Romans chapter 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? This is Romans 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. As normal, for those of you who have been unfortunate enough to hear me preach before, I have three points. They're very, very basic, simple points. I have three points that I want to draw out. And point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? And, and you know, as all good preachers do, I went to the dictionary. And one secular dictionary definition is this. It says that the meaning of righteousness is acting in accordance with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But again, this worldly thinking is another issue that we bake into our doctrine and our theology and another reason why we get confused. Because that definition says that we are righteous because we keep moral or divine laws, the commandments. But that's not true, is it? We're not righteous because we stick to the rules. Now, let's be really clear. Righteous people do stick to the rules. They do their best to act right, to live a good life. But that is not what makes them righteous. A better definition of righteousness, one that you will learn if you come on City Gate Academy, is this. It says it means to be in right standing with God. I love that definition of righteousness, to be in right standing with God. If you break that sentence down, if you're a bit of a grammarian, another way that you can say that is you can stand right next to God. But how can we do that if we've broken every single rule and every single law? If the works that we do make us in right standing, and this is going on in the verses, then there actually wouldn't have been a need for Jesus Christ. 
we wouldn't need him, would we? Because if we could get there based on what we do, if we could get there based on how good we act, if we just needed to have just a little bit more goodness than badness in our accounts, we could get to heaven and we could turn to somebody else there and go, I got here and I got here based on what I did. I didn't swear at my grandma when I wanted to. I didn't get caught. And actually, the Egyptians popularized this notion of more good than bad, and it has honestly pervaded all of our thinking. This notion that when you die, your heart gets weighed against the weight of a feather. And if your heart is lighter than the feather, you get to go to heaven. And actually in the Egyptian system, they had a whole load of ways that you could barter and trade for the good you'd bad and the done you'd bad and, you could, and the bad you'd done. And you could actually bargain and bring offerings. One of the reasons that sin causes guilt and shame is because we think like this. We think that when we do bad things, it's gonna cause a dent in our score. I don't know if you guys have felt this, but I remember as a child thinking if I did something wrong, God would look at me worse. God would think of me worse. Anybody else ever think like that? I know I did. But righteousness is not earned by our works, just as unrighteousness, sorry, just as righteousness is not lost by our mistakes. Righteousness is given by God. It's given and then it produces righteous works, which we can't boast about because we didn't create them. We didn't generate the good works. It was God's righteousness in us. You have been made righteous by your position, not by your performance. You've been made righteous by your position, not by your performance. So point number two, can you earn it? I'm really hoping all of you know the answer to that as being no. I think I've labored it enough. Let's go back to the verse. Let's go back to the Bible. Romans 4, and this time we're going to read verses 2 to 4. For if Abraham was justified by works, he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I am not an accountant. And the world should be grateful that I'm not an accountant <laughs> because I would be awful as an accountant. But we have some in the church. In fact, one of them sits as a board on our directorship. So I have to be really careful what I say. But if you look at these verses, these two verses are using in the original Greek accounting terms. And actually the root word comes from debit and credits. It talks about wages and it means to keep records. We have little pieces of plastic in our wallets and purses that relate to this, right? Debit cards and credit cards. And I think most of us know that if you're a normal human being, debit means going out and credit means coming in. But if it's a credit card, it means it's going out forever. Hopefully we all know that. <laughs> But we're talking about wages. Ah, oh, thanks, buddy. Oh, it was the game. It wasn't, it wasn't me. Uh, okay. What, what? Never mind. He's taking notes. Don't worry. 
So we're talking about wages, we're talking about accounting, we're talking about debits, we're in maths and accounting territory, so please buckle up. I said this message was getting worse before it gets better. Verse four, it says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay, I need to be really clear here. That verse is not saying don't work, okay? And it's especially not saying that your works will count against you. That we need to be just as clear on. We need to be just as clear that it's not saying that your works count against you. We know from the Bible we are saved to do good works, but we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved to do good works. What this verse is saying is that if we could be saved by our works, not only would we not need Jesus, but it goes worse than that. If we were to do those good works by which we could be saved, it would act like a debt against God. God would owe us. That's what this verse is saying. It's saying that you do good works that create salvation, God is your debtor. And the Bible's really clear. God is no man's debtor. But imagine that you have a tradie come to your house because you're doing some renovations. We're doing renovation works on our house at the moment. And so when they do their works, we owe them money. It's a debt against us, yeah? The Bible is very, very clear. We owe God everything. Everything that we have. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. So our good works aren't gonna do it. We can't have God as our debtor. We owe him everything. How on earth do we get to heaven? I wanna give you a visual demonstration. This is why we've got the screen here. And let me see, excellent. I cannot lay claim to this visual demonstration. I unapologetically stole it. <laughs> but it is too good not to share. So, we're talking about accounting terms. And we are going to have, let me put up a third box. We're gonna have three people here. And what we're gonna have, these are gonna represent accounts. You can think of them as bank accounts. You can think of them as our spiritual accounts, our moral accounts. I don't really mind. But they're accounts, and they're accounts of three different people. We're going to have the first one on the left as an unrighteous person. We're going to have the middle one as a good person. And we're going to have the third one as a perfect person. So I think it's fair. I think all of you are going to give this away. I'm going to start with this first one here as Jesus, because Jesus was perfect, okay? I need to think of two people. Um, aha, okay, I know this guy quite well. I'm gonna get him on this one. Okay, so we have an unrighteous person. We have an unrighteous person. And then we're gonna have a good person. And this person was really good, not all the time, but really, really good, okay. And these are our accounts. And we live, we live our lives, right? And as we're going on our lives, we do some good things, but we do bad things, okay? And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bring up into here a little key that we can then easily understand, hopefully. And we're just gonna start filling the accounts, okay? So in my account, I did a little bit of bad, 
Hold on. Hang on. Guys, just give us a second. I, I don't have that function. I missed one. Okay. But I wasn't always bad. I wasn't always bad. Occasionally, occasionally, I did a little bit of good. No, that one doesn't count. That one was, that wasn't, wasn't there. But occasionally I did good. So you can see my account. Sorry, Thomas's account. <laughs> Rebecca was nowhere near as bad as me. Rebecca listened to her parents. She didn't tell too many lies. She went to school. She did her best. I mean, she did the odd thing, like every, every now and then, like really, really like tiny, you know. But ostensibly, she was a good person. The odd mess up here or there. Let's look at Jesus' account. There's only one thing in Jesus' account. Righteousness. Now, I'm not trying to rubbish Rebecca, whoever she may be. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But a verse is going to come up on the screen from Isaiah. Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So what we could actually do is change the R from righteousness to rags. And obviously Rebecca has more rags in her account than I do at this point. Just saying. So how on earth, how on earth are we going to get to heaven? How do we do it? When I have so much sin in my account, and Becky, Rebecca, whoever she is, has, <laughs> has so much sin and tons of filthy rags in her account, and you have sin and filthy rags in your account, and Abraham had sin and filthy rags in his account, how do we get to heaven? Jesus only has righteousness in his account. That's all he has. God took all of Jesus' righteousness out of his account. That's what happened when God placed Jesus on the cross. Jesus, who was perfect, who was pure, who was holy, who had never done anything wrong. He had never made a sin. He had never made a mistake. He had lived nothing but a pure life. He kept the whole law. He was spotless and blameless. But sin was put. All of the sin of the world was put into Jesus' account. That's why he was condemned to death in your place and in my place. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this. It says, for he, that's God, made him, this is Jesus. So God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The reason that the words to be 
in your Bibles, if you read it in your Bibles, the reason that those words are in italics and the reason I emphasize them is because they aren't actually there in the original Greek. We've inserted them in italics to help us understand it, to help us read the text. The original text literally says, God made Jesus sin. He converted him from pure righteousness to pure sin, your sin, my sin. I asked earlier and I said that I promised that I would answer the question of how is this fair? This is how it's fair. This is how it's fair because 2,000 years ago on the cross, the most unfair trade in history took place. Jesus, who had nothing but righteousness in his account, got made to be sin so that you could be forgiven. But how unfair is that? Because God had no guarantees other than the guarantee that this would work. God had no guarantee at all that we would accept the sacrifice, that we would be grateful for the sacrifice. And yet he put the entirety of sin of the world, of the world gone and the world to come, all of it was placed in Jesus's account. That's how it's fair. I promised you that there'd be good news. We're on to it now, we're getting to it. But it's also only half the story. Because at the point that all of that sin was put in Jesus's account, the, the blood of Jesus that was shed, all of that blood which was pure and holy and spotless and had never done anything wrong, actually washed out everything in my account, everything in Rebecca's account, everything in your account. That's how it's an unfair trade. That's how it's an unfair trade for God and a fair trade for us. That one little sin sweeps us away like the wind, he said in Isaiah. All our righteousness, all our righteous deeds, everything that we do that's good is like filthy rags at the point that we do one thing wrong and it sweeps us away like a wind. Not anymore. Not anymore. All of sin was defeated. All of death was conquered. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, people don't die and go to hell because of sin. They die and go to hell because of unbelief. Sin has been taken care of once and for all. Sin has been defeated, it's been trampled, it's been squashed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus who was slain before the foundation of the earth. So sin is not holding you back anymore. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You will never, ever be good enough. You can't. Only Jesus could do it and only Jesus did it. He achieved it. So my final point, number three, Abraham believed. And it really is as simple as that. The way to heaven is by believing in Jesus, that he came to the earth as a man who knew no sin, never did anything wrong, but was made sin for you and took your place. I have to ask you this, I have to ask this. Do you have righteousness in your account? Your account is empty now. 
There's no sin in there anymore. There is nothing holding you from God any longer. There's no gap. There's no void. The cross filled the gap. It filled the void. But there's also nothing that says that I can be in right standing with God. There's nothing in my account that says I can stand right next to him. I know that my deeds can't earn it. I know that my words and my actions won't achieve it. However hard I try, God's standard is still perfection. But when Abraham believed, it was accounted to him for righteousness. His account got filled up. Can I ask you today, do you have righteousness in your account? John 6, 29, 28 to 29 says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered them saying, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. This is the work of God, church. Jesus then goes on to say in verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I've asked a few times, how on earth do we get to heaven? And it really is this simple. We make a choice and we believe in the one who is perfect, Jesus. Mercy saves you from what you deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. God's righteousness places you where you don't deserve to be, in right standing with God. Except I've actually got more good news than that. I told you this is gonna be a good news, bad news message. The good news gets even better. And it goes further. As Christians, we're actually no longer able to say that we don't belong. We don't have the ability as Christians to say that we're not worthy, that we're not righteous. Unless you plan on having an argument with the Almighty, which I contend you will lose, God says that you're righteous. God says, I'm righteous. God says that you are righteous. The Bible is so clear. The Bible is so clear. There is no guilt. There's no shame. There is nothing holding us back now. If you're a Christian, today, if you've said yes to Jesus, God has said you're righteous. It's time to stop living with a sin focus. It's time to stop living with a I'm not worthy focus. It's time to stop living saying, I can't, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. I can't come to church. I can't possibly raise my hands in praise and worship. I can't pray. God won't hear me. It's time to put that to bed because God has said you are righteous. We mentioned earlier about wages and accounting. And further down in that book in Romans, in chapter six, verse 23, Paul's right this. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna be wrapping up here. And I've really been speaking to two groups of people. 
I've been speaking to those who perhaps have never said yes to Jesus and your account feels full of sin. I have really great news. It's, it's actually empty. Your account's empty now. There is nothing in it. But I'm sorry to say that unless you have said yes to Jesus, your account is still empty. And on the other hand, I've also really been trying to speak into the heart of Christians and those who perhaps don't feel worthy, who don't feel righteous, who don't feel on the inside that their account has righteousness in it. They actually don't even feel that their account's empty. They feel that their account is full of sin. And I have such great news for both of you. Both of you today, God says you are righteous. God said it, that settles it, I believe it. I wanna pray for you today if you are in either of those camps. If you haven't ever said yes to Jesus, today is a great day to do that. Today is a great day to get right with God. The Bible's really clear that it's so simple, it's so easy. It says that Abraham believed and instantly his account had sin taken out and righteousness put in. I wanna tell you that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. He came, he died for you, for me, for the sins of the world. He's eradicated your account and he has the option given to you now through the blood that he shed to put you in right standing with God. So if you're in a second camp where you go, you know what, I, I, I've been struggling. I've been struggling with this idea that I can come and stand next to God. I wanna pray for you as well. Would you bow your heads in this place? Out of respect for everyone here, we're gonna ask that you do something quite bold, but also really simple. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand. If you want to say yes, to Jesus, to this guy that perhaps you don't fully know yet, you don't know who he is, you don't have a relationship with him, but you know, you know that if you were to die today, you wouldn't see him in heaven. If that's you today, I would love to pray for you and I can pray for you really quickly and very easily if you're able to put your hand up in just a moment. I also would love to pray for you if you've been struggling on this journey you know that your sanctification, your becoming like Jesus is taking a bit longer than you wanted and it makes you feel like you can't get close to God. I would love to pray for you because the Father wants you to come home. The Father wants to have a relationship side by side with you today. So I'm gonna to count to three. And if you're in either of those two camps, please just be bold and raise your hand. We're not gonna ask you to stand up. We're not gonna ask you to come to the front. I've got a couple of friends helping me see you at the back just because it's a little bit dark. But if you're in either of those two camps, would you please raise your hand? One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand there. Yes, I see your hand as well. Thank you. I see your hand at the back. Thank you. I'm gonna pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your son to die in my place, to die in our place, 
to empty our accounts of sin, to take away all of the things that could possibly be holding us back from you. Lord God, and for these people who have put their hand up today, whether they are responding to you, Jesus, for the first time, or perhaps they wanna get their heart right with you and they wanna focus on what you've said of them, not what they think of themselves. God, I pray that your blood that's so powerful, that washed away the sins of the world, would wash them again. Renew their hearts, renew their minds, Lord God. Thank you that we are in right standing with you. Church, would you pray this prayer after me? Would you say, Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe in you. I thank you that you died, that you rose again, and that you saved me. And from this day forward, I will never be the same again. I choose to live as a righteous person. And I thank you that you call me righteous. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.